Wow. Well, good morning, church. That was awesome, wasn't it? Hey, man, have a little Hamilton up in here or something. I don't know, but it, it was great. Great way to kick off Christmas, though, I tell you. So Merry Christmas. Maybe that's the first time you've heard it so far after Thanksgiving. But hey, church, it's Christmas season here at Rolling Hills, and I'm so excited because Christ has come. Christ has come, and this world will never be the same, and our lives will never be the same. And so in our series, we're going to look at Christmas from some different perspectives. You know, maybe you've put out your nativity scene, and, and maybe we're going to look at it from some people that aren't in your nativity scene, but people who were there, some kind of lesser known people. But we're going to see their perspective on Christmas and see what God was doing in their hearts and their lives and what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. You see, same event, but two different views, right? It's kind of like Christmas now. A lot of people look at Christmas and they just see the shopping and they just see the, you know, the parties and the gifts. And this is really the only time of year that we kind of add all that stuff in, right? And we already have busy, overscheduled, overcrowded lives. Then we decide we're going to decorate the entire inside of our house and the outside of our house. And then we're going to buy cards for everybody we've ever met. We're going to buy gifts for all those people that we love. And we're going to, you know, bake and all these other things we're going to add on top. And what happens a lot of times, right, is Jesus kind of gets lost in the middle of all that. And a lot of people look at Christmas and they see it as a hectic time of year. But for us, I pray this is our best Christmas yet because we see the Christ of Christmas. That we look at it from a different perspective. Because Christ has come. Our theme verse is going to be this. It's from Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. And it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe wanted to come and be with us. And to dwell among his people. And that you and I could know him. That you and I could have a relationship with him. In the midst of our sin. In the midst of our total depravity. In the midst of our brokenness. That God came to us. Christmas. Yes. And when Jesus was born, he was born into a world that, that's not a whole lot different than what we were experiencing because there was a census that was taken in the entire Roman Empire and people had to go to their own town to register. So people are staying with family, with friends, streets are crowded, business owners are happy because there's lots of commerce that's going on. But there was a lot of chaos that was happening and taxes and all the things that were happening then. And so just a lot of people missed Jesus back then and a lot of people miss Jesus today. And may we be the people who see Christmas from a different perspective and see that it's all about Emmanuel, God with us. Christ has come. This morning we're going to look at King Herod. Herod was the king over this area at this time. And even though he was really close to Jesus, he missed him. So let's see what God's word has to say to us today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles for you in the back. Love for you to grab one uh, as we unpack the Word of God today. Or maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the Scriptures online or we'll put the Scripture on the screen. But Matthew chapter 2. Matthew first Gospel here, New Testament. And we're going to see what God has to say to us today. Now, while you're turning there to Matthew chapter 2, let me just kind of set the historical context for you right now. Uh, it was B.C. 
63, when Pompey came through with the Roman army and conquered Judea, Jerusalem, and this whole area. And, and when they conquered this area, they were smart. The Romans had kind of learned from the Greeks. The Greeks who had gone before them, you may remember Alexander the Great who conquered the entire world and then cried because there were no more lands to conquer. Well, Alexander the Great, when he conquered Judea and Jerusalem, he wanted to Hellenize everybody, right? And so he's, you know, kind of putting all this in and his leaders and his kings that he put over this province, they wanted to make sure to teach the Jews a lesson. And so they went to the temple and they sacrificed a pig on the altar. Well, that didn't go over real well, okay? So what they began to understand is these people are pretty passionate about their God and their scriptures. And so after a little while, the Jews revolted and they kicked the Greeks out of Judea, out of Jerusalem, out of this area. And so they kind of ruled themselves for a while. And now the Romans come back in. And the Romans said, hey, we saw what happened to the Greeks. So now we're going to put somebody on the throne who can kind of understand these people and can kind of help us suppress these people, but maybe who kind of gets their thinking. And so they put this guy in 37 BC, a guy named Herod. And Herod was a Jew. So his parents were from Edom. They would go back and go back and trace it all the way back to Esau. But, but he grew up as kind of a follower of Judaism. He knew the scriptures, the Old Testament. But even more than that, he was loyal to Rome. He was more passionate about Rome than he was Judaism. But he knew enough about Judaism that he could kind of, you know, pacify the people. And so the first thing that he does when he comes in is he rebuilds the temple. And Herod was a master builder. I mean, this guy was an incredible architect. He goes in and he kind of helps kind of fortify the temple and make it bigger and wider. And people could come from all over to worship. He expands that. He builds his own palace called the Herodium, which stood outside of Jerusalem. He built Masada, which is this huge palace that overlooks the Dead Sea. It's just an, you know, archaeological, you know, just incredible discovery when they found the Masada and when you found the Dead Sea Scrolls that are right around Masada. But people go out there and you can still go out to Masada today and you can see the architecture of them. They're like, whoa, wow, this guy was brilliant. Incredible builder. Now you had all these slaves building all this stuff, right? But he was this incredible builder. And so he comes in and he rebuilds the temple and he's kind of got people under control and he thinks everything is good. And then look what happens in chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem. And so here's Herod sitting up in his palace in the Rhodium and, and all of a sudden this caravan comes running into town and it's camels and it's wealthy people and they're probably from Arabia or Persia but these magi come in and, and they kind of make this scene and they asked where is the one who's been born king of the Jews we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him now think about Herod right he's going excuse me <laughs> you mean king of the Jews that's me Right? I mean, Caesar appointed me. I'm over all these people. I've got the palace. What do you mean you're here looking for the king of the Jews? And the Magi said, well, we saw a star. We saw a star. 
And so we've come all the way to worship him. Now, we're not exactly sure what star they saw. We know that in 11 BC, Halley's Comet came through. We know that around uh, 6 BC, there was an alignment of Saturn and Jupiter and Mars that must have been spectacular. We also know there was a lot of other things that were happening. Uh, you know, just astronomy tells us this, and that we can see from zero to four, just all this phenomenon that was going on. But these magi come from a thousand miles away because they see this star and they come over to worship the king of the Jews. But when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So let me just kind of give you some more insight here. Herod, not only was he a master builder, but here's the thing about him. He was insanely suspicious. This guy, I mean, he suffered from depression. We know from historians, he suffered from paranoia. Extreme paranoia. In fact, he had three of his sons killed because he thought they were trying to take his throne. He killed his own wife. He had multiple wives, but, but the one that he really loved, Miriam, he, he had her killed. And then after he killed her because he thought she was trying to poison him, which she really wasn't, but, but after he killed her, he regretted it. And so like he kept her around for almost a month, like putting her at the dining room table. I'm just like sick. I mean, just grow. I mean, this guy... This guy was so paranoid. This guy was just, you know, all these things in him. And he was just on this train with the Romans and wanting to be successful and running after the, and just destroying anybody around him. And so when it says all Jerusalem was disturbed with him, oh yeah. When he was about to die, like he was getting older, he told his officials, he said, here's what I want to happen. When I die... I want you to round up 70 of the leading men of Israel and I want you to have them killed because I know nobody will shed tears for me. And I want there to be tears shed when I die. Okay, that gives you a little insight into this guy, Herod, right? Well, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him and he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. This is from Micah 5.2, prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. In fact, in the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ, the Messiah. And all of them are fulfilled in Jesus. Every one of them. In Bethlehem, right, the city of David. All the genealogies of Joseph and Mary trace back to the line of David. And I, I love that Bethlehem, Beth means house. Lechem means bread. The house of bread, that's what it was called. And how cool is that to think that the bread of life, right, the bread of life comes from the house of bread. But the chief priest knew it's from Bethlehem. That's where it's going to be. So Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, did he really want to go worship him? No. Right? But he says, let me know about this. Now, here's what's happening in the world at this time. Everybody, all the Jews kind of knew that a Messiah was coming, but they were all waiting for a political Messiah. They were waiting for somebody who was going to come and kick the Romans out. That's what they wanted. But also in the world at this time, Roman historians, ancient historians, were writing that something big was about to happen. There was going to be a ruler from Judea who would rule the entire empire. So there was something that 
everybody kind of knew, hey, there's something big about to happen. And so these magi, these pagan magi, travel all the way over because they're like, we've got to see this and experience it. After they had heard from the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Just kind of underline that in your Bible. Or they were overjoyed. You know, every time people meet Jesus, man, there's just a joy that comes. I love seeing people come to know Christ because there's just this joy that happens. They were, they were overjoyed. They're like, yes! And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. So you can imagine all these camels and all, you know, these, these wealthy guys and their servants and everybody coming. And, and these guys coming in and here's the child. And, and they get on their knees and they, they begin to worship him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. They brought gifts, expensive gifts to give. And, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by a different route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son, the deliverer. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. All these moms with their babies being ripped out of their arms and killed because this guy who is so insanely suspicious and paranoid. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died. Now Herod died in around 4 BC, okay? So just to put that in some context, Jesus was probably born around 5 or 6 BC. I don't want to throw your whole calendar thing off, but you know, people kind of are looking at that in our calendar. But, but it is really that defining time. But Herod dies around 4 BC. And an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. <laughs> wow. Here's some things that I want you to see this morning. If you're taking notes. The first one is this. Herod was close to Jesus. <laughs> Herod was close to Jesus. This is interesting because Herod's palace at the Herodium stood above Bethlehem. Herod built this big palace. It was kind of on top of this hill, almost a mountain. Massive, right? Someday, I hope and pray you all go to Israel at some point and you can see these different places. And I'll show you some more at the end. But, but his palace is sitting up there. And from the Herodium, you can look down and see Bethlehem. I mean, here he is. So he's sitting up there and the Magi are telling him this. The wise men are telling him, yeah, right down there in Bethlehem, just seven miles away, right, right over there. And here's the truth. You can be close to Jesus and not know him personally. <laughs> and you think about how many people are going to go to church 
during the Christmas season. And praise God, we're so thankful. But, but you could come to church and you could hear a lot about Jesus and still not know him personally. Still not allow him to come in and change your heart. See, what's so interesting is Herod knew the prophecies. He knew from Judaism. He, he knew some of the Old Testament. He knew that Christ, the Messiah, was to come. But instead of showing up, he sits back. And pagans all the way, a thousand miles away, see what God's doing in creation. Because the Bible tells us, right, in Romans chapter 1, all of creation testifies that there is a God. All the world, right, there is a God. They travel all the way to be a part of it. But you can be close to Jesus. And I pray today that God will stir your heart and you'll understand that God has come for you. And here's the fact that Jesus came to bring peace. And if there's anything that Herod needed in his life, it was peace. I mean, this guy, historians tell us, man, his, he was miserable. And because he was miserable, he made everybody around him miserable. And that the answer was there, seven miles away. He's looking down, but refused to go. Refused to go. Herod never took the time to explore the claims of Christianity for himself. Christ, Messiah. The Messiah came. See, here's the thing. Some of you, somebody invited you here today, or maybe you're in town with family or friends, and, and you're kind of like, okay, I'll go to church. It's cool. It's great. It's fine. And you know, it's, wow, it's pretty awesome. I like, I like being here. No, but, but at some point, at some point, you've got to decide, who is this Jesus? Because he claims to be the son of God. And C.S. Lewis wrote, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And have you ever taken the time to explore for yourself? Have you ever taken the time to say, I need to investigate this? A guy named Lee Strobel did. His wife, strong believer, Lee, who was a writer for the Chicago Tribune, and his wife was praying and praying and praying for him. And he was a total atheist, totally against, always trying to say, no, 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 no. And finally, his wife kept praying and saying, hey, search for yourself. Look for yourself. Explore the claims of Christianity for yourself. He said, okay. And without telling her, he begins to do it and starts researching and studying. And man, God changed his life. That's the peace I need. That's the hope I've been looking for in my life. Gives his life to Christ, writes the case for Christ, writes the case for faith, writes the case for Christmas. In fact, if you have people around you who are searching, who are seeking, who are wanting to know, great books to give to them. But for all of us, we have to give an answer. Here's the second point. It's this, Herod saw Jesus as a threat. Herod saw Jesus as a threat. I mean, here he is, a baby being born in Bethlehem. He's sitting up on his palace, and yet he saw him as a threat. Because why? Because he would never submit to another king. Herod would never submit to another king. See, pride is the mother of all sins. Pride is the mother of all sins. And how many people go to the grave in their arrogance? But pride wars against us too, if you're a believer. And sometimes in our pride, we're like, no, 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 I'm in control. I'm not going to forgive. Oh, no. Oh no, I'm not going to love. I'm not going to give. I'm not, no, 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 because I'm going to protect what I have. And that's what Herod was doing. He didn't want to lose his position. 
He didn't want to lose. It, it's all about me. And everybody's here to serve me. <laughs> and you see, when Jesus comes along, we can even stiff arm him sometimes. Because Jesus says, come follow me. We lay down our agenda to follow Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about the cost of discipleship. It's not a cheap grace. It's this call for us to follow and to trust. And there may be times that God calls us, hey, I want you to serve. I want you to give. I want you to share Christ with somebody. I want you to go on a mission trip. I want you to make a difference for my name. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's getting a little personal now. Hold on. I've got my position. You got your position. Everything's cool, right? Jesus is going, oh, follow me. Trust me. Hold on to me. But here's the thing. Herod spent all of his time building his own temporary kingdom. He spent all of his time building his own temporary kingdom. It's all lies and ruins. And for us, we can spend all of our time buying stuff and more stuff and more stuff and spend all our time taking care of our stuff because we got more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And somehow thinking about, hey, that's going to buy me more time. The more stuff I have, the more time I have. The more money I have, the more time I have. But that's not always true, is it? And that's why this, Jesus' birth calls for everyone to give a response. Everyone. It didn't matter that Herod had some Jewish background in him. It didn't matter that the Magi were far away. Everyone has to give a response. You, me, every person who's ever lived. And God has been drawing us to himself and inviting us. But how do we respond? See, from King Herod to the shepherds, the shepherds we'll see in a couple of weeks, from the very wealthy, the wealthiest man in the land, to the poorest people, the commoners in the land, we all must respond to Jesus. God came near. How do we respond to this? And there'll be a lot of people that are going to stick to the wrapping presents and they're going to stick to the gifts and they're going to stick to the cards and they're going to stick to the parties and they're going to try to just get through the season because, man, I don't want to get honest about what God really wants to do in my heart and my life. But I want to tell you, that's where life change comes. And here's the thing. Worship is the only proper response. But our worship must be sincere. And there'll be people that'll go into churches and, and they'll stand and they'll just kind of watch the thing happen and they're going to walk out and think, man, I got a check mark, you know, because I went, I did my duty. And God's going, no, 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 no. I want to do something in here. I want you to respond to me. I came near because I love you. You are that special to me. And we can go through the motions, but have we really had a heart change to make Jesus the king of our own life? Have we really experienced that life change where we just say, I'm yours. Holy, completely yours. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. But are we pursuing Jesus? Are we following after him? Are we not just trying to get through the season, but are we trying to experience the grace that God has for us? And are we sharing his love for others? And what can happen so often, the more things that we have, the more distractions that we have. 
And it's not bad to have stuff, but we can't let the stuff control us. And statistically, the more money we make, the less we give. And the busier we are, the less time we spend with the Lord. And we can easily keep Jesus at arm's length as well. So, we all respond to Jesus with two things, either fear or faith. Either fear or faith. We can respond with fear like Herod. He's a threat. Or we can respond with faith. And because Herod was threatened, you know what? Nobody was safe around him, right? Because here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people. And Herod the whole time was trying to keep everybody under wraps, right? He's trying to control the situations. But if there's no peace in your heart, it doesn't matter how much you try to fix the things around you. It's not really the things around you. It's really you. And the other night, you know, uh, I saw where stores opened on Thanksgiving, right? Instead of waiting for Black Friday, they started opening at 6 o'clock. And I saw in Birmingham, the Galleria, you know, maybe you've been there, really super nice mall. The mall had to shut down. It was supposed to go till midnight, but it had to shut down at 11, 20, 40 minutes early. Why? Because people were getting in fights. I mean, like, people were, like, fighting all over the mall. I mean, like, the police, when they're breaking up, and I'm thinking, really? I mean, you're fighting over a $2 pair of socks? I mean, it's like, I'm fighting over $10 off a pair of boots. But why? Because it's not the other people around. It's like, I want this, and this is going to satisfy, and I've got to have all this, and there's this fear, right? And so we hold on instead of letting go and saying, here I am, Lord. I'm yours. But here's what happens. Our spiritual health, our spiritual health impacts others. Our spiritual health impacts others. See, the way you experience Christmas this year is going to impact the people around you. And what God's doing in your heart, in your life, is going to impact the people around you. There's a guy in our church, and he was the executive producer of a film called The Price of Fame. It just opened a couple weeks ago, and it opened in 600 theaters around, but it's the story of a guy named Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase was a wrestler, you know, like, you know, wrestling mania and all that. You know, like, he was the million-dollar man, and he wrestled in, like, the 80s and the 90s, but he took that million-dollar man, and he kind of lived that out in his life. I mean, he was going around, and I mean, the guy, you know, drugs and affairs and all these things, but he had a, a wife at home who just kept praying and praying and praying. And his son comes up and wants to be just like his dad, which, right, I mean, our kids do, and they watch how we live. And he's going down that path. And finally, God got a hold of this guy's heart and just said, whoa, wait a minute. Look what's happening to the people around me. I'm destroying everyone around me. And broken, he gets on his knees and gives his life to Christ. And because of his decision to follow Christ, his son makes a commitment to follow Christ now his son has a child and that child's growing up in a whole different kind of home and there's a family there our spiritual health impacts others I saw this picture the other day on social media and it, it was a picture of a guy being baptized and there was a guy being baptized in a swimming pool and, and, and this guy is Marcus Johnson who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles and, and the Philadelphia Eagles had the opportunity to tell Marcus Johnson, hey, we want you to know about Jesus. And here's this football team surrounding him, 
holding hands and Marcus Johnson being baptized in the swimming pool of a hotel. And here's a guy who could say, you know what, I'm running after all the fame and the fortune of the NFL. But here's a guy who tweeted out, I've been cleansed and reborn. It's all about Jesus. Multiple exclamation points. He's just like, man, I'm living for the Lord. And guys, I just love that. I just saw that. Here's somebody who's looking at it from a different way, from a different perspective. And what about you and what about me? And here's the final point. How we respond to Jesus has eternal implications. It's not just for now. It's for eternity. It's for eternity. This life is short term. Herod, he lived, he died. And we all will. But what we believe about Jesus impacts everything. Herod died miserable because of fear. And yet he could have known Jesus by faith and experienced, experienced a life of peace both now and forevermore. What about you? What about me? How are we going to live? Here's what Jesus told his disciples. He said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What does it profit a whole man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? When we were in Israel, we were in Israel about a year ago. We did a biblical study tour from our church. And, and I want you to see, we shot this video from the Herodium right outside of Jerusalem overlooking Bethlehem. And watch this. I'm standing here on the Herodian. This was King Herod's palace. Back in Jesus' day, Herod was the king over all of Judea, over all of this area of the world. And so I'm looking down on Jerusalem over here and Bethlehem right over here. And Herod built himself an incredible palace. Uh, there's a telos, which is, you can see the tower back there. This is a model right here. Uh, but a telos was kind of his signature build, so you knew it was Herod's palace. Uh, Herod's tomb is actually discovered right here at this palace. But this palace was elaborate. I mean, built on this mountain, uh, and you could see he had dining rooms, he had a bath, a spa, he had everything you could imagine. And he thought, you know, he was the king of the world, right? I mean, he's looking down on the people, he's got a Roman army. I mean, he just thinks he's ruling the whole thing. And then right over there, Bethlehem, just down the hill a little bit, there's a baby who's born. And this baby is born in a stable, a cave, to a man and a woman, no fanfare, just humble. But that baby changed the world. Herod, his grave is right here, he died, went on. A man of war, many battles that he fought, built many things for himself, all about building up himself, building his own kingdom. And yet Jesus, the hope of the world, came to change us from the inside out. And it's all these things that we run after today that we try to build our own kingdom. We try to build bigger houses and more stuff and more things. We try to rule the world in so many ways. And yet it's when we have peace in our hearts and peace in our lives that we really 
know what Christ came to be. And we understand that Christ's kingdom reigns forever. This kingdom fell, and just like our kingdoms will too, but Christ will never fail. And for you and I to learn that the Prince of Peace has come, that he wants to do more than just give us things in the world, he wants to do something in our heart and our lives. He wants to transform us. So I hope and I pray that this Christmas, that we'll understand, we can look at the world and we can run after and chase after all the celebrities and all the success, or we could say, Christ has come, born for me, for me to have peace, for me to have hope, for me to have joy, for Christ has come to change the world. And it's not Herod, people like that will fade away in the annuals of history, but Christ is history and he has changed the world and he longs to change you and he longs to change me. You know, someday there'll be people walking around on the rubbles of our homes or our workplaces and all those things. But what are people going to say about us? What are people going to remember about us? What are they going to say? They were like Herod keeping Jesus at arm's length. Or are they going to say, man, they were like the Magi who just bowed bow down and worshiped. They were faithful. They loved God. They loved their family. They loved the people around. They, they lived for him. And they had peace. They weren't perfect. But there was a peace in their life. And there was a joy in their life that just radiated from them. They, wow. They lived life to the full. I read just this past week where David Cassidy died. And some of you may know he was, had the Partridge family. And, but his life was a mess. The family was a mess. And there's so many things and success and the drugs and all this stuff that the world would say was cool and popular. But boy, so many things around him were in shambles. And his daughter posted his last words. And what he said on his deathbed, and he simply said this, so much wasted time. And I thought, how heartbreaking. Know that we come to the end of our lives and we say, God, I lived it for you. I made the most of every moment. And it wasn't perfect, but God, I followed you. You get one shot. We get one opportunity. How are we going to live? What are we going to do with this Christmas, 2017? What are we going to say is important this year? How are you going to invest what God's given you? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here and maybe today is the day of salvation. All right, where you sit, you just go, God, I need you. I need you. I mean, I look around in my life, it just seems like they're so out of control. There's so many things that are happening and I'm trying to control it all. And, and God, I just want you to come and be the Lord of my life. Jesus, come in, forgive my sins, redeem me, restore me, make me new. Father, I need you. Maybe today you, you kind of feel like you're holding Jesus at arm's length. You really just haven't given in with everything. Maybe God's calling you to take a step and be baptized or to serve or to get involved or to do missions. I don't know. But today, would you just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. 
Don't we miss it? Maybe for you today is just a day to say, Jesus, I'm dedicating this Christmas to you. I already feel like it's running ahead of me. I already feel like I'm overwhelmed. And yet, God, I just want to stop. And this Christmas, I want to make it about Jesus. I want to share Christ with my family. I want to experience you in my heart. I want to grow deeper in my faith. Jesus, I'm full of yours. So, Father, here we are, your disciples today, gathered in your name. We've come to worship you. Father, don't let us miss you this year. Don't let us get caught up in everything that people make Christmas to be. Help us to have a different perspective, and that's Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And to know that you love us, to know that you are for us, that you broke into this world so that we can have hope and life and peace. Change us, oh God, from the inside out. May we experience Christ this Christmas. In whose name we pray, amen. Amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. But listen, don't leave without talking to somebody. If you want prayer or need prayer, hey, that's why we're here, right? You're not alone. I mean, God came near. That's what Christmas is all about. God is with you and for you. And God has given us church and community to lock arms and to walk together through life.